Eric says he's ready. He's ready? Yeah. I'm ready too, except I keep... You want to do the entrance? I keep knocking the microphones around. <laughs> what they do? Steal your mics? No, I keep moving them. I like oh. I like the mic over there better. Oh, okay. <laughs> this one has the high-pitched little buzz in it, and then the other one makes you sound like you got a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the one that's on the opposite side of the table. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, why are we here? <laughs> We're doing the Hive Jive. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Podcast, Hive Jive. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been getting tons of feedback, and I love it. And we have gotten a lot of actual comments and responses on Instagram and on Facebook. People saying that they just found the show or that they like the show. Um, I'm going to go through. We'll read some of those towards the mm-hmm. end of the episode. We'll kind of give a little shout out here. But for all of you guys that are doing that and all of the listeners, um, we greatly appreciate it. It is amazing. We love the feedback. We love that you guys are enjoying it, and uh, as Ken and Eric say, that uh, we are able to infotain you. Yeah. So that is awesome. Um, I do, though, if you like it so much that you are willing to rate us on something like Facebook and you know give us the shout-outs and stuff on Instagram, mm-hmm. I would love it if you would also take that enthusiasm over to the platform that you're listening on. So if you're listening on iHeartRadio, if you're listening on iTunes, take that and, and rate us on there. Give us a review give us the the five so far everything has been a five-star rating on the social media so that's amazing Um, but give us those reviews on the app that you're listening or the platform that you're listening from because that also helps us in the rankings and then it helps get the the it gets it out there for other people so the more on like iheart and on itunes and Mm -hmm. things like that and spotify the more that we get ranked on there then the the kind of broader reach that it sends it out and the more it recommends it to people and then other people can join in so definitely go and do that that would be amazing we would love that and this episode today is all about you guys it's about listener questions we know uh, we've been mentioning it a couple of times that we had another episode coming up and Mm -hmm. we've had some emails that like I said on the last episode they've been languishing for about a month waiting on a response and I apologize but I wanted to make sure that we had plenty and we had our social media people put out there hey if you've got any extra questions and so now I have two pages (laughs) of questions (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean we got a pile of you know i don't know here i'm gonna throw something out and it, it 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 was on my last radio show just a few minutes ago and i know you listened to it and and people are gonna say why did that come from dude your phone we have me. Yeah, I know <laughs> my phone my phone splashed but uh we had Sam Kaufman. Y'all go check him out, thehumanpath.com. He was telling us about making salve with beeswax and uh, grapeseed oil and then put the different uh, herbs or essential oils in it. And, in fact, I have learned how to make lip balm out of wax. You know, I don't know why neither of us have actually thought of this before, but uh, we should totally have Sam on the show. Oh yes, we know. I've already worked on that. Have you? Good. You, you You've were been li- dropping we, that we, little. We hint. were talking, and in fact, he he says when I asked him a minute ago, uh, Sam, would you like to come on the show? He said, Well, Ken, would you like to meet? And he has a surgeon. You know, Sam did. Uh, <laughs> we are doing a show, but 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 Sam is did medics through the Green Beret. Mm-hmm. And his buddy, beside when he when he got out of the army or the Green Beret, he went on to become a surgeon, which he still had the 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 Green Beret, the the medical bot- botanical uh, herb, herbologist or whatever uh, medicine that they taught there. But yet he went on to become a surgeon, and now they're doing a class between the two of them, teaching both how to blend uh, herbs and regular science. Modern science and medicine with the old old world kind of natural cures and, and medicines and Did stuff. Did you so, hear where Sam says, well, if you want a meal, would you like me to bring Steve with me? Hell yes. Yeah. I mean, we could mix that and bring it and, and have a show right after that. Yeah. So just a, a quick little recap there on that. Sam Kaufman, actually, when he was in the, the, what branch of the military was he in? 
He was Green Beret. He was Black Ops. So Army. Army. He was yeah, in the Army. Army. Yeah. So he was he was a field medic, and part of his job was to go out into the land, the surrounding countryside, and find what types of things grew out mm-hmm. there so that they knew what types of medicines that they could have mm-hmm. available so that when somebody did get injured on the battlefield, they could use the natural resources to kind of help with that. So he's got all this knowledge, and he can go through. We'll do an entire episode. That's amazing because we can go through and talk about all of these products that come from the hive, you know, you've got the mm-hmm. propolis, you've got the wax, you've got the honey, you've got the pollen, you've got the, even if you look at it from a nutritional standpoint, you've got the brood and the mm-hmm. larva. Um, we can go through and we can talk about things because, I mean, obviously you can melt down wax, you can make candles, you can take the propolis and you can use it to make tinctures and salves, mm-hmm. you can use the wax and, and the honey and the pollen to do the same thing. But, you know, you can make sandwich wraps just with cloth and wax that will keep things from the like seal out the moisture in the air and it keeps them from perishing perishable non-perishable whatever anyhow (laughs) but we can have him come on and and we can have a really in-depth episode about how you're using the products from your own beehive to kind of you know enhance your life oh i mean it's crazy the visiting with him it's just so just go check out the human path Yes. Thehumanpath.com. It's just wow. You know, you was talking about the cloth. I used to have leggings that, uh, I still got them. They were. You uh, got them on? No, I got them on. (laughs) But uh, they were made out of a heavy canvas that had wax on it. Oh. To waterproof it or to. To waterproof it. They were snake proof. Oh. They were snake. You know, they wouldn't be. A snake couldn't bite through them. And uh, they were really heavy canvas with wax. And that's what it said just to wax them. Very cool. So, yeah. That took us a whole two minutes to get off topic. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at that. Okay. So, (laughs) let's let's talk about today's episode. Questions, listener questions. Okay. So, we're going to start off right here in our home state of Texas. We had a listener named Ashley. Um, hey, Ashley. We're going to be nice and, and not do uh, last names and stuff. But Ashley from Texas wrote in, and Ashley says, I am very confused about when and how it's safe to share resources and frames between my hives. I'm not referencing illness in this context, but fighting. The experts talk all the time about moving frames from stronger hives to weak hives, but when do you shake off the bees and just give them the brood? If you don't shake off the bees, when will there be fighting and will the receiving colony accept them? I've heard that you can make a nuke from single frames from a few different colonies, but why does that not cause chaos? All of these examples are okay for moving frames. At what point do you need the newspaper merge strategy to slow introduction? Finally, in a Michael Bush presentation about observation hives, he says that you can shake some bees into a box, leave them overnight, then connect them to the entrance tube and help strengthen the weak observation hive. But why does this not cause the guard bees to get defensive? So basically all of these questions are about how is it that you can exchange resources between your colonies without causing the fighting and the the chaos that should ensue because the bees, you know, instinctively, if you don't smell like us, they don't want to let you in. So that is a great question it is um like anything in beekeeping there are many contradictions in there and they are all equally true and valid and all equally wrong at the same time because <laughs> that's just how it seems to work mm-hmm. I'm telling you i'm gonna do a book yep. it's on its way um so basically in this regard you can do that and and so have you seen any of that you you do a lot of the watching online and stuff no have you seen them doing i'm just the sitting there thinking you spray them down with vanilla water you Both could. bunches and mix them together. Yeah, you could. If you if you wanted to get rid of the quote-unquote the issue, which is they, they smell, the smell differently, mm-hmm. you can mist them with something. And so what Ken's referencing is taking like vanilla extract, mixing it into water, and just gently misting them so mm-hmm. they'll all kind of have a vanilla smell. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be very thrilled with that, but it will distract them from whatever else it is that you're doing, like inserting other things. So if you've got a colony, let's, let's kind of try to go back and, and tackle this from, from different ways. If you have a smaller colony and you need to bolster it, one of the methods that they talk about is you can switch your hives. So you can have a place where you've got a big strong hive and you can have a smaller hive. You can pick those two hives up and flip-flop their locations. And when you do that, the foraging force from the larger hive comes back 
to that smaller colony and it's going to bolster its population because now you've got more foragers and more resources coming mm -hmm. in. The reason that that works specifically is because bees act a little bit like a college frat house. Um, you can show up to the door with a keg in your hand and say, hi, I don't know you, but I brought party treats. And they'll be like, come on in. Oh, yeah. So if you're bringing resources back to the colony, a lot of times they'll let you come in because, hey, it's to their benefit. You can put anything in that pantry you want, mm -hmm. but no one's allowed to take anything out of the pantry. So if it's a foreign bee that smells different and they're empty handed, they're probably a robber. We're going to cause, you know, we're mm -hmm. going to fight. But if you show up and you've got nectar and pollen, they're going to let them in. There's a thing called drifting where if you have all of your colonies in a line and they're all painted the same color and they're all facing the same direction, mm -hmm. your colonies in the center are going to be smaller and weaker and your two colonies on the end are going to be bigger and stronger because the bees get lazy. <laughs> and they just go to the ones that's the closest one. Yeah, they leave and they fly away. They get all the resources they spend all day and when they're coming back... There's a whole line of everything that looks identical. Mm -hmm. There was no distinguishing characteristics for their colonies. So when they come back, they just go to the closest one, which is the one on the outer ends. And so they get bigger and bigger and they get more resources and the ones in the middle kind of start to lag. So you can do that by flipping the colonies and it they don't fight because they're bringing in the resources. Right. So that is one way that you can do it. Now, you wouldn't want to do it if it is a like failing colony that is super, super weak you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. You, The colony needs to be able to stand on its own. It's just smaller mm -hmm. than the other ones. Now, in that same regard, you can take the frame, as she mentioned, and put it into the other colony. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do that, what I usually do is, if the other colony needs the babies and the, the nurse bees and everybody to come out of there, I'll take that frame and I'll gently shake it, as I just smack the microphone, <laughs> just mm -hmm. like that. Um, I'll take it and I'll gently shake it above its original hive to shake off most of the foragers. Right. And then if there's a few nurse bees stuck to it, I don't really matter that much on that. Usually the youngest bees, the ones that have just emerged that are your newborn kind of nurse bees they're usually easily accepted all the way across the board. They're also easier to accept new queens and things like that because to them, they're just like, okay, I'll, whatever, you know, they just go with the flow. It's your older bees, your guard bees that are the ones that are the mean ones that try to attack and fight everything. So okay. you can shake them off entirely or you can shake most of them off. And what you're wanting to do is you want to take one solid frame of capped brood. Mm -hmm. You don't want the brood that's going to make your colony have to work more and have to feed them more because mm -hmm. the colony is already weak. You want the ones that are just getting ready to emerge so that that population is going to double and explode there. So you can take that one, shake off the bees, and put it into the colony. They'll accept the newborns no problem. They always accept the brood without issue. And by giving them the cap brood, you don't have to stress them on now having to feed extra mouths that maybe they can't do. Um, moving from that, though, you can do a split, as she mentions, where you can take frames from each individual hive and put them together and the reason that that works is because it is utter chaos and so it's like finding method within the chaos or method in the yeah. madness kind of thing so you can take a frame from one colony put it into your nuke box go get a frame from a completely different colony put it in your nuke box and what you do is you alternate you can do it with two colonies you can do it with five colonies what is the whole point though is every other frame is a different colony so every bee smells different. And instead of it just being there's a handful of intruders, mm -hmm. it becomes utter chaos because all the smells are different. They're all mixed up. And then instead of it turning into a just giant war, mm -hmm. it turns into confusion. And the confusion allows you to mix everything together and they'll accept it. Usually, though, if you're going to do that, you don't want to have your queen involved in this process. That's going to be a process where you will want that colony to raise a new queen or you're going to introduce a queen in a cage and give them a few days to calm down and, and let all the, the odors mingle and kind of become the same. Um, as far as using the newspaper combined strategy, that is when you take, if you're looking at it from a Langstroth perspective, mm -hmm. you take this small hive that's a weak hive that's having issues or possibly a meaner hive, you take their queen away. You keep the hive that has the good queen and the good genetics. You leave them on the bottom. And you're going to put, you'll take the box off the top of them. You'll put a sheet or two of newspaper over the top. Poke a few tiny holes or cut a few tiny slits. Not necessarily big enough for the bees to get mm -hmm. through, but for them to start chewing on. And then you're going to take this other colony and set it directly on top of that without the queen. 
what the reason for that is you're introducing entire colonies at a time so that's why you need the newspapers because now you have comb brood and bees that smell different in each box and you don't want that other box coming down and killing your good queen because that's exactly what they'll do they'll see right. each each colony is going to see that as an intrusion but when you put that newspaper over there the odors and smells can drift between and go through the paper but the bees can't get through there but they can feed each other and pass each other's smells as they slowly chew this paper across so that other colony has to eventually get through the paper and go down through the original hive to get back out you don't leave them an upper entrance and the other colony doesn't like the paper above them so they're chewing on it too and as they do this the smells slowly mingle it's just like introducing the queen you give her two to three days with that candy cap in there to slowly mingle her pheromones without the colony or throughout the colony and it allows them to then merge and accept each other because by the time they do get through the paper they all smell the same mm -hmm. it's all intermingled so that's when you would actually use the newspaper method now this other method about the observation hive i do my observation hives a little bit differently first off I try not to leave them in the observation hive. And I'm looking at this from the perspective of I'm going to go do an event, say it's a one or two day event, and they want an observation hive there. A lot of times you can put the queen in the observation hive if it's just going to be for a day. But if it's going to be longer, you don't necessarily want the queen in there. You want to keep her in the main colony because after a few days of her being gone, they're going to start preparations of making a new queen and they may not accept her when they come back. But wow. if you continually give it resources from the original donor colony mm -hmm. they still all have those same smells mm -hmm. so you shouldn't necessarily have to do this method down here but i would also caution and question why are you leaving them in an observation colony long enough that you're having to bolster it yeah, with excess bees? so we'll put an observation hive together we'll take it to an event two days maximum i prefer one day then it comes back to the apiary, we take it back apart, and we put it right back where we got it. So it's not long enough for them to be considered foreign or there be an issue with that. Um, yeah, so there you go, Ashley. Thank you for the questions. Okay. Um, we I greatly got appreciate something. that. I'm going to add on to Ashley's question. Uh -oh. Which is easier to mix, a top bar or a Langstroth? If you're doing the flip-flop, mm -hmm. it's the same. If you're introducing bars or frames, it's mm -hmm. the same. The only problem is the newspaper combine. It's yeah, you really combine. Yeah, it's no. really easy, and I've tried. I've done this. Mm -hmm. It sucks. <laughs> so what I did is, you know, the the boxes is easy. You lay the paper across it, right. you set the other box down, right. it holds it down. In a top bar, you can't really do that. So what I've done is I've taken a stapler, and I've put the newspaper down inside there and stapled it all the way around the edges and across the edge of one of the bars, and then put the next bar up against it. And then, so you've got the newspaper, but it's a, a wall that goes the other direction, basically. But it's a lot of work, and then you got to go back and pull those staples back out of there, and the bees don't really like the as you're stapling. So, uh, yeah, that that method is one of those things where, in that style of hive of beekeeping, it does make it a bit more tricky. Now, I'm going to ask one more. Y'all probably you probably got that question. I didn't. Can't. I don't know if it is. I'll uh, on feeding. Once you put a new nuke in, mm -hmm. or you've moved, moved new bees into a hive, uh, you're going to need to feed them for a little while to just to build them back up. Mm -hmm. On a on a top bar, do you just put the quart jar with the feeder in the bottom of the hive? Um, yes, actually, that's exactly what I do. Like okay. the picture I sent you of the Boardman entrance yeah. feeder. Okay, yeah. so. There is a question in here about feeding, um, but it does not specifically ask about the style of feeding. So in that regard, there are a, a lot of different feeders that you can get. If you're doing a Langstroth, you've got all these options. Yeah. You've got the entrance feeders, which are like the Boardman entrance feeder. There's a big one that is wood and metal. And then there's a smaller plastic one that's a little bit more ergonomic. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the whole point is they slip in the entrance. And you'll have a lot of people online and you'll see a lot of things where people are like, oh, don't use those. It encourages robbing. It only encourages robbing if you are sloppy and you don't do them correctly. Mm -hmm. If you put them in so that you're not spilling sugar syrup all over the outside of the hive and you put them in the entrance, you want the feeder to be on the side where the colony is the strongest. And then you want your entrance reducer, that piece of wood, to be butted up flush against it. There should be no openings, no gaps around that feeder and anything else. And then on the complete opposite side, 
you have an, an opening, their mm -hmm. entrance. That's how they should be set up. And a lot of times you need to modify your entrance bar to do that. There are also frame feeders, which take up the space of a couple of frames inside the hive. There's top feeders that are made for a mason jar. And then there's top feeders that are made for like, they can literally hold two gallons of liquid in right. them. And I, I will also caution that when you are feeding, just because it can hold two gallons doesn't mean it needs it. Um, I tell some of my classes, I did a, a thing for the Hayes County Beekeepers the other night, and I told them if I was a school marm, I would walk around and slap their hands with rulers if I ever caught them doing that. Because there's two gallons? Yeah, there's yeah. there's issues that can come along with that, and we'll, we'll address Makes that in the lazy. other question. But in a top bar, you don't you don't get all this variety, right? Mm -hmm. So they can use, some people say to use a quail feeder. You know what those look like? Mm -hmm. or, or like a little chick feeder for the chickens. Mm -hmm. So you've got the jar that screws into basically this round trough, and the liquid comes up, fills up the trough, and then it just kind of gravity holds it in there. Mm -hmm. But the problem with bees are they'll drown themselves. Yeah, I can see that. And that's a problem with some of those frame feeders. If they mm -hmm. don't have the top divider and the little ladders for the bees to go down, they'll mm -hmm. climb on top of each other, they push each other down in it, use their sisters as leverage to stand on, and they drown each other. So... You have to put a rope or pebbles or something in there, but it's also open feeding and it feeds the hive beetles. It feeds all kinds of other things. You don't, it, it's not great. It can spill inside the colony. So I use the Boardman entrance feeders, just like you would on the entrance of a Langstroth. And just like you said, I put the jar in it and I set it in the very back of the colony of a top bar against the back wall on the opposite side of the comb. Mm -hmm. And then I let them walk over there and they get it and then they bring it back to the comb. And it's enclosed, so you don't have to worry about other things trying to get it. It's completely at the far back opposite mm -hmm. side of the colony, so you don't have to worry about it attracting things to the entrance. Mm -hmm. If you do have an entrance or holes towards the back of the colony, you want to close them up before mm -hmm. you put that in there. So that way you're, there's not an easy access for robbing and stuff to happen. One to one? Ratio? Depending Shoot, on the time of year. Yeah. So right now in the spring, absolutely one to one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't beat yourself up on what really is one to one. It's one part to one part it can be one pound to one pound it can be one container to one container honestly nectar in a flower is a little bit more water than it is sugar mm -hmm. so if your ratio is a little bit off or some people will say oh but you know when you pour a cup full of sugar it's got air in there and so really it's not a true one-to-one -one. but that's better because true nectar isn't a true one-to-one -one either right so uh, but yeah in the spring you're going to do one-to-one -one. Okay. it encourages comb building and brood rearing if you do the two-to-one, it encourages storing, and you don't want them to store right now because if they do, you can't guarantee that that's honey or dehydrated sugar, sugar syrup. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, moving on down the list. Okay. Our next one is Amber from Tampa, Florida. Amber was super excited, and she says, Hi, guys. I am a Tampa Bay urban beekeeper. Oh, my God, I'm now a beekeeper. Hmm. Um, here are the questions about bees. So I just received my first nuke or colony last Sunday, and I'm still super giddy and saying aloud every three to five hours, Oh, my God, I have bees. Um, this has gotten better every 10 to 30 minutes, but still, it's my first day. <laughs> and I, I totally understand that. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, her question comes about the... She uses big words here. She says phototaxis. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically, are drone bees more photosensitive than female worker bees? And her justification for this, she lives in Florida, and they nearly always leave their doors and uh, windows to the house open when they're home because they let the, the air kind of flow through there. And they've noticed that when the porch light is on or when the lights inside the house are on, mm -hmm. bees are a lot of times attracted to those lights. So mm -hmm. she's just got new bees in her yard. And at night, the lights come on and that hive is seeing the light in the dark. And so they're going towards it. Usually that's going to happen when they're bearding a little bit on the outside because then they're already outside the colony and they can see the light. And they're coming towards it. Now, in her case, since how doors and windows are open, they're also coming inside the house. And what she's noticed is that in her situation, there are more drones that end up doing this than workers. And so she's wondering if the photosensitivity of the drone is actually more acute than that of the regular female worker bee. Now, honestly, Amber, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> nah, just, you know, drones, they know they're going to be killed anyway. So. Well, here's my thought on it. I, I actually purposely went and I did some research and I did as much digging as I could. Mm -hmm. and, and I could not find any study 
that I could find anyway, that has actually addressed this. But look at a drone's anatomy. They have the same three photosensitive eyes on the top of their head mm -hmm. as the female bee. There's mm -hmm. no difference there whatsoever. The, the little oclei that are up there, those three, they just detect light and dark. Mm -hmm. So there's no difference there. However, their regular eyes, the multifaceted eyes that they have on a drone, they're so big, they take up the entire head and they touch in the middle on the top of the head. Wow. And so they do have a larger eye in that perspective. So it could just be that, you know, they're designed to be able to see a virgin queen in flight and catch her. So they also probably can see that light a little bit better, but it's not because of the photoreceptiveness. It's just the actual, their eyesight. Now, I would also say that you probably have to have a good number of drones to have mm -hmm. this issue. Because if your colony doesn't have any drones, you're still going to end up with bees flying around a porch light. They're just going to be the worker bees. So, yeah. There's a non-answer for you. There you go. <laughs> it's the best. And then uh, they, they, they also sing. I saw the light. <laughs> and yeah. then I died. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Flew up it burnt me, damn it. <laughs> they, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing because it's the same thing when they get trapped in the house and they're trying to fly out a window. Mm -hmm. They will literally fly until they exhaust themselves and then they just poop out and they die. Lock them off. Yeah. Words of wisdom and advice. Uh, have screens on your windows so the bees can't yep. get inside and keep your doors closed because there's yep. crazy people out there. Yep. Um, if you ever listen to the podcast, My Favorite Murder, don't leave your doors unlocked. <laughs> don't leave your <laughs> yeah. windows open. It's bad. <laughs> Moving down the list. We're are... the best beekeeping podcast. That's right. Okay. We are. Yeah. What did you jump to the bottom of something on a question uh, well, there? Well, yeah, I just saw the bottom. Of <laughs> I was like, that came out of nowhere. Oh, Lacey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lacey starts off. She says, the Hive Jive is hands down the best beekeeping podcast. Lacey, you are Thank our you. new favorite listener. <laughs> yeah. You just got to the top of the page. That's dear. right. We did. Um <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We love that kind of feedback. So Lacey, Lacey has questions. Good and gosh, uh, lots of them. Lacey has a lot of questions. <laughs> she, she says, in all honesty, my first question is for a friend of mine. No, seriously, it's for a friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think maybe that, I mean, it could be for a friend. It could also be that she felt guilty that she had so many <laughs> other questions. So her friend has a question. She says, my friend accidentally stained the inside of her hive because she ordered a kit and she just ended up staining all of the pieces. So what should she do to the interior if it's already stained? Well, I don't know. I would what say did she stain it with? that's exactly I would. That's the first question. Is it just like a standard deck stain, like Thompson's water seal kind of thing? Or did you use something organic or something yeah, made from natural boiled linseed oil? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. If it, it was a natural type stain, then it's probably not an issue. If it is a chemical type stain, it could be an issue. No. But I would say that that issue is going to dwindle over time mm -hmm. because the bees, the, you know, the longer that that is. So let's say take it if there. the hope is that there's no bees in it right now. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, take let it, it and set out. it out in Just the let sun. It air yeah, out. let it yeah. air out, let it dry out. And that'll help a lot. Mm -hmm. Downsides to it could be if it is not aired out the fumes could chase the bees out of there they could end up deciding they don't like it and they'll abscond and leave and to that i have a question <laughs> i always come up with questions uh there's a place over here uh to the east of us that has uh several lumber mills and they have they make an aromatic cedar i've been Ooh, wanting to no, make some no no, no, no i didn't no. figure because aromatic cedar is what you put in a closet to keep out moths. So I figured aromatic cedar would not work for bees. Correct. But you can use red cedar from the West Coast. Absolutely. You can yeah. use regular cedar mm -hmm. to build a beehive, and it will not adversely affect the bees. Mm -hmm. But aromatic cedar is a no-no. Yeah, don't ever don't use like that. Yeah, I, I figured that. Yep. There's a reason that that keeps bugs out of your mm -hmm. cedar chest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. And that's where I figured, too. So, yeah. Okay. That works. So, Lacey's true questions. Mm -hmm. Question number one. You want to answer? Uh, go ahead. Read that one, Ken. That goes right back to the kind of what you were asking there. How long should I keep uh, feeding my package of bees uh, that I put in an empty top bar hive? Uh, they are starting to build on bar number five of comb. So wow. I'm going to say not much longer if they're already building on fifth bar. Well, it, it so there's, like, again, contradictions aloof everywhere here. Um, afoot, aloof. I'm aloof. Yeah. <laughs> You're aloof. Uh -huh. 
Eric's aloof. Eric's running down the hallway. <laughs> He's literally aloof. Um, He's going after coffee, which I need. But. Yeah, I've got a whole cup right there. Uh-huh. All right, so my first question back to Lacey would be, are you insinuating that they started their very first comb on bar number five? Because if that's the case, I'm going to tell you to take bar number five and move it to bar number one. You want them to kind of start at the beginning. And right. when, when you're first starting off, if they have no comb, it's just a hollow space with your guides on your bars, mm -hmm. you have to do a lot of help. Otherwise, they get very creative. So when they start that very first comb, go in there and pull that bar out and make sure that comb is running straight with the center of the bar like you want it to be. If it's not, very gently take your hands and move it without ripping it off the bar, but mm -hmm. bend it so that it is in the right line with your guide and then move it to the very front of the hive to bar number one. Um, as they continue building, continue this manipulation process so that you make sure each comb is going straight and you're building it outward. Now, regardless if it is a top bar or a Langstroth, when you get a package of bees, they have no furniture. They have nothing. Right. All the resources have to go into building comb. Mm -hmm. So here's where your contradiction comes in you will see where they say feed them as much as they can absolutely take. Okay. So if you're feeding them, I always tell everybody feed one quart at a time. So you can feed them one quart on Saturday and then wait three days and feed them another quart. Mm -hmm. The point of the waiting is so that if they have drawn out some comb, they're usually going to take that and immediately store it in the comb. Mm -hmm. You never want to feed so much that they fill all their comb up with, with nectar, with sugar syrup. Mm -hmm. Because if they do, there's now nowhere for the queen to lay. That's where the contradiction comes in. So you want to feed them until they start getting a good number of, of comb built. So say feed them as much as they will take for the first two to three frames or two to three mm -hmm. bars. Once they have that drawn out, stop, but don't stop entirely. You're drastically cutting back. So I guess I shouldn't say stop. Cut back drastically. You're going to do one quart, one mason jar, and it's really easy a if month. you're doing that inner feeder like we just talked about where you're using the boardman feeder but putting it in the back of the top bar, mm -hmm. or the mason jar inner feeder where it hooks into the inner cover or the entrance feeder for the top of the length or front of the length not a month a week a week one jar so pick a day a saturday or sunday and that's when you give them the first jar then you're going to do a very quick inspection on wednesday to see if there's still liquid in the comb if there's open liquid in the comb do not feed them again until the next saturday or sunday but if you look at the comb and there's no liquid in the comb give them a second quart jar on Wednesday. So that's your methodology there. And the whole point is you're, you're, you want to create a steady flow that is slow enough that they will build out the comb and feed the larva, but not so quick that they ever can make stores. You don't right. want them to store the sugar you syrup. You don't want them to put sugar syrup. Well, well, they're going to taste like honey. Well, for the, exactly. But for them, it's not, it's more about that's for you, really. Right. For them, it's more about keeping a steady flow, but you want enough space. The queen can constantly lay eggs. They can feed the eggs, and they can keep building new comb, but they can't store it. If they start storing it or they keep all the cells full, mm -hmm. your colony is going to actually start to shrink. And that's where the downside of those two-gallon feeders come in. You'll have people that will start off with a package, and they'll start feeding them a lot, and the package will start to grow, but then they just keep pouring two gallons of sugar in there. And then they're like, well, I fed my bees two gallons a week every week, and I don't know why they didn't get any bigger. Well, it's because they had way too much liquid. They filled up all the cells. The queen could not lay eggs. Therefore, the colony could not grow. And your mortality rate started catching up with your growth rate, and they started shrinking. So it's a very fine line <laughs> when it comes to feeding. <laughs> what if you put flavors in the water? Um, so once you fed too much and they start putting up flavored... Honey? Well, we no, we don't. We don't want them. I don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't want them to do stored sugar syrup because now you're one of those people that adulterates your honey, and we could say you're just trying to cheat, and you're not really selling your customers honey. You're selling them sugar syrup. So, but it's flavored. Yeah. Are you going to put coffee flavor in there? Uh, maybe. <laughs> or cucumber. Cucumber. Hey, there you go. Nice spring refreshing water, mm -hmm. naturally sweetened with cucumber syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay, okay. question going. <laughs> next question super important question how do you figure out how much honey to leave for them in the winter um lacy specifically lives in missouri and there's an estimation for about each bar of honey and weight or is there an estimation about each bar and honey and weight i think you need to leave them 12 bars but i'm thinking maybe i need to leave them more so if you're in a langstroth or a top bar either one the answer to this is, can you take a guess? 
No. Okay. Oh, one, one to one. So if you're looking at an entire box, if you're looking at a Langstroth, which I know she has a top bar, but if you're looking at a Langstroth, it's very easy. One box of bees needs one box of honey to survive the winter. Well, so you, and that's what you say. The brood box, you have it on there. Then you have you leave one medium box, and you never get into that one medium box. Yeah, and you want to make sure that medium box come wintertime is it's stored full. of capped food stores, mm -hmm. completely okay. full. So okay. one to one is the answer to that question. Now, if you have a smaller colony that's just starting off this year, and you only have one deep box then you look at it as a 50-50 ratio. So this is the same way you look at the top bar. Average 12 to 14 combs in a top bar is the equivalent to a deep and a medium in a Langstroth. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you want to have as your okay. always happy medium. Okay. But if they don't make it that far, you look at it as one to one. Every bar or frame that is full of bees, brewed or covered in bees, needs one bar or frame of capped food stores. And that has to be capped. It can't just be open liquid because right. that can get used right. very quickly. So one-to-one -one is what you're looking for. So Lacey, let's hypothetically say that come this fall, your colony has built out 10 bars. And you've got five bars in there that are full of bees and brood. You're going to want the other five bars to be capped food stores. Yep. If you do that, they will make it through the winter. If you end up having more food stores than you do bees, that's even better because there's plenty of it to make through the winter. The other thing, though, that they need to make it through the winter is a good, solid population. So you want to make sure that your population is strong and healthy going into the winter as well because those bees are the ones that generate the heat to then keep the colony alive and well. Okay. What's our next question? The temperament <laughs> of a Russian bee? What is the real temperament of a Russian bee? Do you know They the like vodka. <laughs> Does that mean they're more temperamental? Uh, no, a Russian bee is probably going to be, because it's going to be more of a European bee. So I'm going to say they're pretty laid back. Mm -mm. Really? Yeah. So, you know, we talk about the Africanized bees. On, right. on your scale of 1 to 10, an Africanized bee is mm -hmm. a 10. Mm -hmm. A Russian bee, technically, a purebred, <laughs> purebred a Russian carvo, bee. Carm no, 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 Russian just Russian. Oh, just a Russian bee. Purebred okay. Russian okay. bee okay. is an eight on that same scale. Now, what we do, the Russian Carniolans, we actually take those and you've got the Russian, which is the eight, and you've got a Carniolan, which is like a one. Mm -hmm. And you mix that together and you come out with a bee that has a really even temperament and has all these good attributes of both. But if you're just looking at the Russian, it sounds scary if you look at it just from the scale perspective, right? Mm -hmm. But if you live somewhere where there are truly no Africanized bees, that Russian bee is going to be very obviously more defensive than your Italian bee or than your Carniolan bee, right? But if you live here with us where we have the Africanized bees, there is such a huge difference between the 8 and the 10 that it makes the Russian bees look like babies, like teddy bears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> The guy that was trying to do the Russian or the the Africanized bee thing, then they did it in Russia because the Russian bee is basically a... You're just making stuff up as you go along. No, it's not because a Russian bee works harder and is probably more aggressive because she does to put the stores in, which is the same thing the Africanized bee does. Well, so the Russian bee, nobody created the Russian bee. She was just from Russia. She so as your they bees, drank too damn much vodka. As your bees disseminate mm -hmm. and spread, yeah. you'll come up with natural boundaries where you know everything may have started off as the same European bee, but mm -hmm. then you get trapped in a zone or an area, and over time those bees evolve and adapt to that climate and, and become that area. A redheaded mutt. That's right. In Texas, they're redheaded mutts. Mm -hmm. So the Russian bee, they have a lot of good qualities. They are very good at brood management. They're very good at having a smaller winter cluster. Mm -hmm. They're good at foraging, but there's a contradiction in here because they're not that great at winter food stores. But that's because, even though they're from Russia. Well, but that's because they do so well at managing their overwinter brood. Mm -hmm. They don't need as many food stores. Okay. So their goal is not to store tons of honey like the Italians. 
a, a true Russian bee, if you've ever messed with the Africanized or any, any variant of the Africanization in the bees, a Russian bee is going to seem much more docile than the Africanized bee, and they're great. Okay. If you've never experienced it and you've only done Italians or you've only done the, like, the true Carniolans, then the Russian bees are going to seem very, very, very defensive and way more aggressive than those other bees. But it's all about your perspective. And it's all about, I mean, in every strain, you can find Italian bees that are mean as hell. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at it as an average. You can get bees that are in something that says they should be meaner, but they don't come out that way and vice mm -hmm. versa. So, um, But the true Russian bee, I still like them. They're a great bee, but their temperament is a little bit more so than some of your others. And the Bahama Mama Queen? The, okay, so the one that you call the Bahama Mama, that is a the, the Big Island Queen. Mm -hmm. She's an Italian, and okay. she is a pure golden, like very light golden. When the mm -hmm. sun rays hit her, she's mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, their fuzz, their stripes, the, everything about them is gold. Wow. They're so striking when you see them. But they're actually super docile. They're a great, great bee. I know that you like that, you know, because it sounds all Bahama fun. Bahama Mama. The Bahama Mama. She come out there and beat you up. Um, <laughs> but she ain't going to beat you up. Nope, she won't. She's super gentle. She's super okay. nice. All right, so as we established, Lacey is in Missouri. She would like to also know if it would be better off for her to get bees from the Georgia area or if she should order from the Minnesota area. Well? Do they have, can she buy localized bees? Or the Georgia bees, I'm going to say uh, I would buy from the localized area. If there's a a beekeeper there that is splitting his hives, making nukes, and selling bees, I would say buy them from where she's from. That is the best answer. Now I'm going to throw a curveball at mm -hmm. you. In her situation, she's doing top bars. Everybody around her only does Langstroth. So now what does she do? She's going to buy them three pounds at a time from Georgia. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. So I would say... Bees that are being raised in Minnesota may not be being raised in Minnesota. Yeah. Because the southern states can raise queens faster. So what if our southern queen rearing people are raising hundreds of queens and they are shipping them to the people in Minnesota so that Minnesota can requeen their splits way before they can actually raise their own queens? Mm -hmm. Are you truly getting Minnesota bees? because the lineage is all going to actually be a southern bee. So it's kind of, there's a lot of just ins and outs to that. If you can find somebody in your local area that raises a nuke that is from your local area, because they could also come from where, Ken? No, well, they could come from, you know, uh, South Carolina. Or they just came from pollinating. Well, I was going to say California, but I knew I was going to get chewed out No, 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 because that's just it. Okay. You need to know your breeder and what they do are they a reseller that is buying in bulk wholesale from people that have been out doing the almond pollination and breaking those nukes up and reselling them to you or are they legitimately raising their own bees now then tell the folks why they shouldn't buy the bees from a big guy that's hauling them around because of the pesticides and the herbicides and the mosticides and the all that different things. I mean, you just told them right there. Yeah. All of the equipment that comes from there is the wax, especially, mm -hmm. is going to be contaminated with all of these chemicals, all the pesticides, the herbicides, the fungicides, fungicides. Fungicides. Those not are mosticides. all. They're all going to be inside the wax because mm -hmm. the wax absorbs all that. Your bees are going to be super stressed. Mm -hmm. They're going to be highly treated and medicated, and that treatment is usually not the organic kind. It is the synthetic bad kind, mm -hmm. and all that stuff is stored in there. So you got bees that. Yes, the colony is exploding because they just came off of this mega potent protein source, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily the best bees, and they, they've had a very rough life. Now, eventually you requeen those, and that new genetic takes over. That's good. If you can get rid of that wax that they came with, and as soon as they start building new wax, start mm -hmm. taking the, the, the old wax out, that's even better. Um, I think that's going to lead into a question from Philip later here in a minute. But um, that is... That is one of the downsides to getting them from these places. So that's mm -hmm. why it's good to know. It's just like anything. It's like if you're going to go adopt a dog, did that dog come from a puppy meal? Or did that dog come from a loving, caring home that actually raised the dogs and owns the mother and the father and treats them well? All right. So that's kind of what you want to look at. Now, so recapping very quickly on that question, yes, 
If you can get them from your local area, do so. If you can't because your your hive is different style, then yeah, you're probably gonna have to do a package because a lot of play places don't ship nukes. Like I won't ship most bees, period. But when you're shipping a frame of wax, that's mm -hmm. when the chances for disease and stuff drastically goes up. So mm -hmm. you won't usually find a nuke that will be mailed. Those have to be picked up or delivered. Packages, they can, because it's just bees. There's no comer wax there. So I would say Ken is correct. I would go with the Georgia bees. Um, I don't know a lot about Minnesota bees, and I would highly bet that those bees are coming from somewhere else. Yeah. If you're referring to Minnesota bees because Man Lake is selling packages and Man Lake is based out of Minnesota, Man Lake also has other locations as well, and those packages are coming from other locations. They're not actually being raised in Minnesota. So that that is not necessarily a downside in that regard. It just happens to be that's where their headquarters is at. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. How can I keep y'all wasp and yellow jackets from around the house without hurting the bees? Soapy water. Soapy water. So okay. soapy water is that will kill almost any insect. You can use it in your gardens, depending on the concentration you mix up um, is kind of what you want to do. But if you have bugs and worms and things that are on the undersides of your vegetable leaves, you can flip those over and mist them or spray them with soapy water. It will kill the eggs and kill the larva without killing the plant. Soapy water is great for wasps and technically it'll work on bees as well. But what uh, easiest thing to do is get a pump sprayer like you would use to spray mm -hmm. the weeds in your yard. Make sure it's never been used for anything else. Fill it with an entire thing of like Dawn dish soap. I don't know, whatever standard size you would put in your kitchen. Put the whole bottle in there. Fill it the rest of the way up with the two gallons of water. Shake it up, pump it up, and soak them down. It will kill them. There you go. It is eco-friendly. You're not putting chemicals and pesticides on things. There are some things out there about some essential oils they don't like. So once you've sprayed an area, you can mist it with that essential oil and it will help keep them from wanting to come back and rebuild in that spot. And then once they're gone, knock the nest down. That'll also help. And you can get the wife off your rear end. <laughs> because, yeah, baby, I'm out here washing the house down like you've been telling me. Yep, that's the way you do I'm it. soaping it up. Yep. God darn it, okay. I made a clean spot. Now... If a piece of comb has fell off your top bar ah. and it's laying in the bottom of the hive, would you pick it up and try to reattach it, reattach it? What do you think? This is a, this question is a catch-22. I want to say no. Because? Because the hive beetles and all your bugs are down in the bottom. And there's a lot of trash down there, too. And uh, that stuff is going to be stuck to your comb. And... I wouldn't do it. Okay, Probably. so you, so again, catch twenty two, double edged sword here. So mm -hmm. everything that you said is correct, but only if you leave it down there. So if the comb falls, oh, if it just fell off while you're messing with it, I would say attach it. Okay, if the comb falls and you leave it on the bottom of your hive, you have created a wonderful place for the hive beetles and the wax moths mm -hmm. to now get out of the reach of the bees, lay their larvae, and they'll start underneath that comb and foul everything up. The bees are also going to permanently seal that comb to the bottom structure everywhere it touches, which means when they build the new comb, they're going to have to build around this blob, which is going to, in a top bar, get you way off track, and it's going to cause lots of cross-combing and lots of issues. So no, you never want to leave it in the colony. You absolutely want to either take it out and throw it away. Mm -hmm. If it's got resources in it, you can take it out and set it as far away from your hives as you can get in your yard, mm -hmm. preferably over 100 foot from the hives. Mm -hmm. Let them rob the resources back out and then take the wax, melt it down, use it for something else. But if it fell and it had brood in it, if it had babies in it, then I would suggest building a rescue bar. And you take this rescue bar, do not ever try to keep any comb that has honey in it. I know mm -hmm. you think you want the bees to have it, but you can never get it to stay up there. It's going to fall again. It's going to leak out and make mm -hmm. a mess. So yep. take the one with resources, put it out somewhere, let the bees rob it out. Not near your hives. You don't want to create robbing and you don't want to tell other predators where your hive is. But build a rescue bar for the brood. Now, to do that, um, I'm going to cheat here. If you go on to Instagram, I know it's on Instagram. I don't think it's on Facebook because it was multi-videos and Facebook wouldn't let me do it. But um, go on to Instagram, look up Wicked Bee Removal. Um, so on Instagram, if you just do, I think in the search, just search for Wicked Bee Removal. Mm -hmm. In the videos there, there is a video that I think the still image, you can't even see the top of my head. It's like chin down. 
and I've got a white, uh, I think, cut off like sleeveless shirt on. Mm-hmm. That video shows you how to make a rescue bar. So the bar itself is your regular bar for your top bar. And then you've built a actual wire hanging apparatus that you crimp and curl onto the bottom of this bar so that you can then press the comb onto that wire hanger and hang it right back in your hive. That is the most amazing way to save comb, reattach comb, or introduce new comb. That's what we use when we're doing the cutouts and rescues. We use the rescue bar, hence the name, to put it all together. So Mm -hmm. I would say go out there, look up that video, Wicked Bee Removal, find the video of me in the white sleeveless shirt. Um, and it's a, it's like a four or five part video series that shows you step by step. And I talk all the way through it. So turn the audio on and that'll show you how to build the rescue bar. That's the best way, but only save brood and larva. That's it. Don't try to save resources. Don't, don't try. If you got honey, don't save it. Don't save the honey, honey, no, honey, don't save it. <laughs> put it okay. out. Let them rob it out. Uh, why wouldn't I put one? Why wouldn't I want to put a hive in the middle of a, my wildflowers? Oh my God. I'm going to go on a tangent real quick. I don't know if you've seen this. You probably Mm -hmm. haven't. I need to send you this link. One of my friends sent me this thing. I should totally pull it up because I would totally bash them. I'm going to bash them anyway. I'm just going to do it without saying who they are Uh, because I don't remember. (laughs) But there's an organization or a company or a person that had this wonderful idea. They took some sort of like cotton fibrous paper that's all made from natural fibers Mm -hmm. that will biodegrade. And they embedded seeds, like wildflower seeds Mm -hmm. and flower petals, into this paper mesh, Mm -hmm. flattened it out, and then they soak it in sugar water. And they have marketed it as a wonderful way to save your bees and your colonies. And they showed them stuffing these slips of paper into, like, wild hives in a tree. They showed them putting them inside your actual beehive. And my friend sent this to me, and they were like, isn't that amazing? And I was like, no, don't, don't do that. First off, their whole thought was, okay, yes, the bees are going to eventually kick this crap out of the hive, and that's exactly what they're going to see it as, is crap. They don't want the flower petals. They don't want the seeds. They can't do anything with that. They're going to remove it from the hive and throw it out. Now, when they do, they are then transplanting for you wildflowers. So in that regard, sure. But -hmm. all those flowers are going to be right around the colony itself. Yeah, that's going to attract other bees. It's going to attract all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. So bees do not forage where their colony is. What they do is they leave their colony and they go out about a mile and then they work their way backwards. When they're desperate and there is no other food, they will forage nearby, but they prefer not to because they don't want to attract other predators or alert other predators to where their colony is. So if you put your beehive in the middle of a garden, those bees will not pollinate that garden. They're going to go somewhere else. Now, you will see bees in your garden, but they're not your bees. Not be, not be your, won't so be your bees. if you want to plant something, I always say put it on the opposite side of where the bees are going to be. So if you're looking at a yard, if your bees are in the backyard, put them in one corner on one side and then put the flowers on the opposite side or have the flowers all in the front and then the bees will go over there and they will pollinate them. Now, don't ever stress yourself out, though, because you will never be able to plant enough wildflowers in a normal city lot to ever feed all of your bees. One colony can very easily forage over 40 acres if they need to. So that's a lot of space for one colony. Mm -hmm. So you're you're doing what you can to help out and anything you plant is gonna help all the native pollinators as well. So that's great. Um, But yeah, don't plant flowers directly around your colony because wasps and other things that come to those flowers as well, then kind of stop and they sniff the air and they're like, ooh, I smell food and it's this hive right here. And then they tell their friends. Yeah. Okay. Next. Now. I think we're down to. We're uh, doing the mites. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. There's two of them from that one. So just above the just as important. I do not want to use toxic chemicals. I want my beeswax clean. But I know that I cannot do nothing. I can't do nothing. Keep I think your beeswax clean, by gosh. <laughs> Scrub it down. Um, I don't want to overtreat. I will treat if necessary. But I do not want my bees to get sick either. What should I do? It seems like mites are all anyone ever talks about on social media. So we have avoided the mite conversation so yeah, far yeah. because the first year that you're keeping bees, mites are really not that big of a deal. Uh, you do a brood break. You do a split. It kind of knocks down the mite colonies anyway. Mm-hmm. Every colony has some level of mites in it. It's just that's that's the way of the world these days. It's reality. It kind of sucks. But... 
Year number one, especially if you just get your bees today, don't worry so much about the mites. Maybe we can discuss that in the fall. But what it comes down to is never use a synthetic chemical to treat the bees if you are going to treat them. Use one of the organic ones because those organic chemicals, a lot of them do not penetrate the wax or do not soak into the wax and they're organic. So there's some of them that actually are naturally occurring in honey. Formic acid naturally occurs in honey and they make a treatment called Mitoway Quick Strips, which is Max, M-A-Q-S. It is a formic acid strip. Do not breathe it. Don't get it around your eyes and stuff. But it will kill the mites on the bees and under the cappings. It's the best thing you can do, but it has a huge counterpoint. When you put it in the colony, if the outside temperature goes above 85 degrees any time within the first three days, it will off-gas so quickly you can literally kill your entire colony. Wow. So there are pluses and minuses to these things. So just because something says it's organic doesn't mean it can't be toxic. Um, bleach is an organic thing. You don't want to don't drink bleach. So, um, yeah, you, you go through there, (laughs) you don't bleach, you bleach everything out, Um, but you'll have clean legs. No. So you can use organic treatments. There's some that are made from hops, just like beer. And it's called hop guard. There are some that are made from thyme, the herb that you would grow in your garden. Mm -hmm. And there are oxalic acid and formic acid. Mm -hmm. All of these things are natural treatments. You need to look up the Varroa Management Guide from the Honey Bee Health Coalition. Mm -hmm. You can look for either of those two things. Varroa Management Guide or Honey Bee Health Coalition. If you put that into Google, the document is going to come up. And it is the most comprehensive thing out there. If you go to some of these mega speakers and you listen to them talk, when it gets to Varroa mites, a lot of them nowadays will just say, you need to go read this guide, the Varroa Management Guide. It has everything you need to know in it. Every colony has bees. Every colony has mites. They're hand in hand. It's unfortunate. At some point, you will have to do something about it. But let's not worry about that right now for the first six months that you get your bees. Let's just say no on that. Okay. Um, I think you just answered the next one, too. When is it appropriate? So, Megan, we're switching now. Lacey, thank you very much for your questions. We appreciate it. We're moving down to Megan from Instagram. And if your name is not Megan, then it's just a cute acronym for something else. But I'm going to say it's Megan. M-E-G-Y-N. That's Megan. (laughs) So... When is it appropriate to treat for mites and how many mites are too many? So if you can physically see a mite on a bee, you have too many mites in your colony. For them to be on the bee and not actually underneath one of the scales of the bee feeding, if you can see it, they're already in there. And one mite goes into the cell, one pregnant mite goes into Mm -hmm. the cell, a minimum of three pregnant mites come out of that cell. So the growth rate is exponential. It, it's it's bad. Mm-hmm. But the best times to treat are when there's not going to be a lot of brood production. So you want to treat coming out of winter, getting ready for spring, and you want to treat right before the fall, getting ready to go into winter. Those are the best times to treat your colonies. And they're, again, Varroa Management Guide, Honeybee Health Coalition. Check it out. It will tell you the ratio on how to do the math and the division, but usually it is per 300 bees, you want X amount of mites or fewer. And it usually comes down to like two, two mites. When you do a true alcohol wash and things like that, you do the division. The percentage needs to be 2% or less. If it is over 2%, you have a problem. Okay. Now I've got something to ask here on a Langstroth hive, for instance. Oh, you can also do a top bar. Does it help on the Langstroth landing board? They've got those screened landing boards. Does that help? The screen bottom? Screen bottom. For mites? For mites. It is considered on the IPM, the Integrated Pest Management, Mm -hmm. it is considered a passive way that you can reduce your mite populations. Mm -hmm. The concept is they go through, they scratch off the mite, the mite falls through the screen out of the hive, and then it will die because it has no eyes. It, it can't crawl far, far enough to get up there without desiccating, basically. Mm-hmm. So it is a passive way to do it. However, the studies have shown that it really doesn't provide a big enough change to mm-hmm. really be worth it. And your bees don't like to have the entire thing open. No. Um, if you're doing a top bar or a Langstroth and mm-hmm. you have a solid screen bottom and you have it open, you will see that they will stop drawing the wax out a few inches higher than they would have if it was closed. And the brood will even be a few inches higher than that because wow. they can't okay. regulate that so airflow. No. Okay. I can see that. 
And they ain't going to make enough propolis to cover that all up. Oh, there are some pure lines of bees that will cover the whole thing, and it becomes a mess. But, yeah. Um, Philip, we are moving on to our last question Mm -hmm. for the day from Philip. Philip is from Facebook. He reached out, and he says, I have a question about something that you all mentioned in a previous episode, and I actually just touched on it briefly in this episode. I was hoping you could elaborate on. I've been keeping bees for three years now, and I have a lot of old black comb. You had mentioned that it should be switched out, but how can I switch it out if there's bees in there? Should I switch the comb even if it has brood in it? Uh, Can a newer frame from the outside be moved in towards the center? What is the correct answer here? So what do you think, Ken? Have you heard me mention this before, getting rid of the old comb? I'm going to say I would, because when we had Les in here, Les was talking about how the bees actually use the uh, wax moth to get rid of comb. Yeah, in nature they And will. I would say I would move the older comb to the outside and bring the newer comb to the middle. Very good. In a Langstroth, if you have a Langstroth hive and you've got old comb in there, there's a couple of different things. Again, just like everything, there's many options. There's that old adage that's really funny. You can ask four beekeepers a question and you'll get six answers. You can change those numbers to whatever you mm-hmm. want. It's just like statistics. They're made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... In the Langstroth, you're going to take your colony, and those outer frames on the outer edges of the boxes, a lot of times they're just used for honey, but you can move those into the center and push the older ones out to the ends, and then eventually take those out. If they fill those outer ones up with honey, take them out and extract them, give them some new frames, and let them keep building. Every year, if you can replace one or two frames in your deep brood box, then you'll have one or two newer ones, and you can start on one side and just slowly push everything to the other side and remove, you know, put in on the left side, remove from the right side, whatever you want to do. But if you have an entire box that's been three years old and now that comb is black and nasty, Mm -hmm. you probably also have other boxes. You've got your medium boxes too, or you've got multiple deeps. Mm -hmm. Rotate the boxes. Even if that deep box is completely full of brood and full of bees, take that box from the bottom Move it up to the very top and then put all your other boxes below it. What's going to happen? they're going to go down once yeah, they start raising. They always backfill. And in a Langstroth, they're going to backfill from the top box down. Mm-hmm. So as that brood hatches, they're going to come out. Those cells will open up. The bees are going to keep moving down and they're going to keep, the queen mm-hmm. will keep going through and she'll keep laying brood and she'll go mm-hmm. down, down, down. They're going to start at the top and they're going to backfill with the nectar and then they're going to turn that into honey. And at the end of that year, that whole top box will end up being all honey. You can then take those frames out, extract them, and then get rid of them. You can get rid of them by scraping them back down to the core foundation plastic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then power wash them off and then eventually cycle them back in and let them build new wax on them. If you're in a top bar, you want to take, just as Ken said, take your oldest comb and move it to the very back of the colony because they're going to backfill from the back mm-hmm. back towards the front. Mm-hmm. And when they fill that with honey and they cap it, you mm-hmm. can then take that old comb out, cut it off, crush it and strain it, get rid of the old nasty wax, keep the honey, and you're all good to go. Mm-hmm. So there are many different methods that you can go through and do on that, and I hope that that made sense. Did that make sense to yeah, you? Yeah, made sense <laughs> to me. Now I've got a question to elaborate on this. Uh, <laughs> black plastic or white plastic comb or yellow or yellow there's yellow Mm -hmm. too so it doesn't matter it is completely up to you the point of the black plastic is so that you can see the eggs Eggs, better right uh that dark coating at the very bottom when there's a tiny little white grain of rice egg in Mm -hmm. there you can see it easier on the black plastic Mm -hmm. but comb that gets old enough eventually turns black but it's shiny down in there too and Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of times you'll see a reflection of light and think it's an egg Mm -hmm. and it's not so if you turn a flashlight on or your phone light and shine it down in there you're like oh nope there's actually nothing in there but that's the point of the black comb is because you can actually see the eggs better uh, in that darker surface the white is super hard to see eggs but if you're putting it up in your honey super doesn't really matter yellow it's just kind of the generic <laughs> i think now, they did it because it matched the, the wax the mediums okay your bottom is your brood mm-hmm. your next one up is going to be food stores for the brood correct then the ones above that you just use wax you can it would depends you, on would, what well, you want to you wouldn't want to use plastic well, oh. you, well no so actually it's like the, kind of the opposite of that the ones if you're purposely going to put them into an extractor right i would say use the foundation the plastic foundation 
It's rigid. Because it's, it's not going to come apart when it's spinning. Exactly. Okay. It's not going to okay. blow apart. Okay. If you want to experiment with foundationless or with just wax, put those in the brood chamber. Let them build natural wax and natural comb. Mm -hmm. Yes, they may build an entire frame of drone comb. Don't have a heart attack. They need drones. It helps spread their good genetics to the other right. feral colonies. Okay. And... A drone comb is bigger, holds more food stores, which means more honey. So once they're gone, then they're going to fill that full exactly, of honey. Exactly. They'll fill it full of honey. Just okay. because it's there doesn't mean they're always going to raise those drones, but mm -hmm. it means that they have it if they need it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't provide that for them, they will find a way to do it. And it's usually between your frames. They'll build burr comb on top of the bottom frame and on the bottom of the top frame in between there, and they're going to make drones anyway. So might as well be in a frame that you can use for other stuff. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, you can absolutely do that. I think we're done. We are. I'm going to go through here real quick, and there were a couple of extra things I wanted to just throw in from some of our listeners, some comments mm -hmm. and things that we had had that I, I think are awesome, so I mm -hmm. wanted to give a shout-out to these people. It's always really kind of hard <laughs> when you're looking at something like Facebook or Instagram, especially Instagram, because people can pick whatever they want their name to be. And so I don't know some of these people's actual names. And if I Buzzy. try to pronounce <laughs> if I try to pronounce it as an acronym, it could be completely wrong, but it could really be their name and I butcher it. So no offense is meant by any means whatsoever on this. But uh, if I sounded this one out and I say that it's B Weegen. <laughs> B-W-E-E-G-N, <laughs> um, B-Weegen. -E -E they reached out and said that we just stumbled onto you two, onto you two. You and I, Ken, you okay. two. That's yeah. what's throwing me. Yeah. Just okay. stumbled onto you two yeah. last weekend, and oh, what a great show. Well, I love you. the many different aspects and how sometimes you guys actually do go off on tangents of information <laughs> overload, but it keeps it much less boring, and I don't mind going back and listening to the episodes multiple times to absorb the wealth of information that is there. So thank you very much for that comment. We love that kind of feedback. Again, anybody that wants to give us a shout-out and give us feedback, go for it. We yeah, love it. It is great. And if you can, rate us on you know, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Go out there, give us give us your star ratings. Put yeah. out there, you know, that you recommend the show, that you love it. Especially things like the lady that said, best beekeeping podcast ever. We love it. Mm -hmm. um, go out there, give us some love. We, we're obviously, we're getting it in the comments. We love that. But definitely, if you can do it, go out there, take a minute and rate us on your listening app as well. And thank you guys so much for sending in the questions. This is listener question number two, or episode, listener question episode number two. There will be a number three, four, mm -hmm. two, infinity and beyond oh, yeah. as we go on we'll do more of them but we appreciate it we hope you guys had a wonderful week and weekend and we will be coming back to you soon with another regular episode as soon as ken gets his bees we will have an episode in there oh there was actually there was another guy that had said too um can't wait for the hive installation episode <laughs> where we install your Don't bees. Be long. <laughs> i can't wait either i no. want to see how ken does in the expression i think it, i think he's gonna it's gonna rock his world when he has the bees in his hand it'll be like less. i'll be like Let's cry when I put those bees up against Just my chest. Hug them to and, your chest. And I felt the, the hum against my chest. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. See, exactly. <laughs> and then you're going to be just like some of our listeners, like Amber. You're going to be running around going, oh, my God, I have bees. <laughs> I've had bees all my life. Well, not not your own. You've had them in trees. That's true. <laughs> these are your bees, not no, the trees. These are my bees. bees. <laughs> They'll sting the hell out of you just as bad as the other bees will. But oh well. I mean, they will. They will. Yeah. It happens. It's part of beekeeping. Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank y'all, and y'all be good. <laughs> be good. <laughs> be good. <laughs> Thank y'all. Been another episode of the Hive Jive. <laughs>